1: This is Chris Mamula, and you're listening to the Earn and Invest podcast.
0: I sat across the table from the nursing home administrator. I had had these meetings before. After working in the community for a long time, nursing homes needed medical directors, and often they would ask me to join their staff and be an administrator. And I love these roles because I generally gave them my opinion. I showed up to a few meetings, but I ended up getting a stipend, so I got paid nicely for it. And then I was assured to have lots of patients at that facility. So this was a conversation I had had multiple times, but this administrator was a little different. She talked about the role and how she thought I would be perfect for it. And at the end, she said, the only thing is if you take this position, we expect that you will send us a patient once a week, to be in our nursing home. Now, obviously, this is a little ethically dubious. It's more of a pay to play. And the idea is when you're taking care of patients, you really want to do what's best for them, not what's most economically advantageous for you. And so I decided not to take that position. And in medicine, this has come up over and over again, a patient will pretty much tell you that they'll pay for a certain medication or a pharmaceutical company will tell you that they'll pay for you to use their drug or even a hospital will pay you a stipend to send more patients their way. And in my professional life, it's always been pretty clear where that ethical line stands. And more increasingly outside of work, we start thinking in those same terms. How often do we walk into a big box store And question, how does that store treat its employees? Do their employees get health insurance? How do they come up with those products? Where are they sourced from? The question is, do we do the same when we're buying index funds? Especially in 2020, as we become more socially conscious, is there a way to invest in an ethically responsible manner? And more importantly, should we? Chris Manuel is a retired physical therapist, co writer of the beloved Can I Retire Yet blog, and author of the book Choose Fi, Your Blueprint to Financial Independence. I've had the great pleasure of not only talking with him online, but meeting him twice in person at FinCon. Chris, welcome back to the show.
1: It's always great to talk to you. It's a pleasure to be here.
0: It is wonderful to have you on. Socially Responsible Investing, you recently wrote a blog post on this topic about ESG investing. So first and foremost, what the heck is ESG investing? Why don't you start with what the acronym stands for?
1: Yeah. So it's something that I've been hearing a lot about. So it caused me to take a deeper look, but it's environmental, social, and governance investing. So basically you're trying to do, trying to make the world a better place with your investing dollars, which in an ideal world, that sounds pretty awesome. But I kind of like to look at things a little bit deeper because I love the way you approach this from the talking about your medical background, because myself as a physical therapist, I think anybody that goes into the medical field, you go in like wide-eyed and you're going to change the world and help people, but you very quickly realize that it's a business. And that's part of the reason I'm sitting here as an early retiree, because I just got so burnt out on that. And you kind of realize that the world, like we love to see the world as black and white, good or bad but it's many shades of gray. So yeah, I'm excited to have this conversation and and dive more deeply into this.
0: Let's talk about those shades of gray. First and foremost, is this a new phenomenon? I mean, you mentioned in your blog post that this was actually an update from a post that Darrow, your partner, did five years ago. I mean, people have been talking about this stuff for a while, right?
1: Yeah, and so that was where I originally heard about it was Darrow's post. I mean, I was a reader of the blog before I came on and started writing for it. And honestly, um, I didn't give it much thought. It wasn't nearly as popular back then, but I've recently, I know Mr. Money Mustache has written about this. I know I've heard different people. It's I hear like on Morningstar a lot, it's a a very common topic. And and so it was kind of, I thought it was time to maybe give it another look and think, am I maybe missing something? Should I be doing more? Because it's not something I've ever embraced or done in the past.
0: An interesting question. Why do you think the landscape has changed? I mean, has the world fundamentally changed in the last five to 10 years that would push us more to think about social responsibility when we're looking at investments? It just never seems like those two went together before in the past.
1: I think the world is constantly changing. We've seen a lot of change just in the last couple of months that have maybe even brought it more to the forefront. But yeah, I mean, I think that traditionally we just thought about how are we making Our money. But as we think about things like global warming and and racial equity and gender equity and things like that, I mean, yeah, I think everybody would like to have a more just world. So if you can use your investment dollars to those means and at the same time uh, make money, which is why we all are investing our money in the first place, if we want to retire and we need those dollars to support us, if we can do both at the same time, I mean, I think that's a great thing. But again, you have to kind of look at what are you actually doing and, and does it accomplish those? Is it actually working towards those ends, I guess is the best way to say it.
0: And it really is a mental jump because a lot of us do think about what restaurant we go to or what store we buy our products from. And we've started to consider the politics of those owners or how they treat their employees. Do you think the demand for socially responsible investing has really increased? So I hear people talking about it, but do you think that this is something your average everyday investor is thinking about now more than they were in the past?
1: Yeah. I mean, so as I started to research that article, I was surprised. I think, I forget what the stat is in there, but to me, it's jumped out as something like 75% of people have like a quarter of their portfolio in ESG investments, which shocked me because I didn't realize it was that popular amongst that many people. So apparently the numbers say yes.
0: And of course, if there is a market for it, the big brokerage companies are going to try to provide those type of funds. Tell me a little bit about the offerings out there. What type of funds have been labeled ESG? Are the big companies putting them out there? Yeah. So
1: you mentioned that Darrow, my partner at Can I Retire Yet, had written about this like uh, five years ago. And, And two of the big things were, one, there weren't a lot of offerings. There weren't any bond funds five years ago. And I know like one of the things that kind of spurred me, in addition to hearing other people, I I got an email from Vanguard saying they were launching this ESG bond fund. So that just came online in September of this year. So there's constantly new offerings. And his other big critique back then is that the expenses were so high. And at that time, he said that it was very hard to find any ESG funds with less than a half percent expense ratio. And I cited an article that there's you can now put together a, a portfolio with domestic, international, bonds, even REITs, um, which I'm not even quite sure how you get a a REIT fund that's ESG. I I found that kind of odd, but you can put this whole portfolio together. And I think the expense ratio was like 0.17 of a very widely diversified ESG portfolio. So yeah, it's definitely improving on on those fronts. And I think that's a big, it is a big response to the consumer demand. So that's a good thing.
0: And so what we're really talking about here is buying groupings of funds, whether this be a mutual fund or what you were talking about, a portfolio, which might have very different asset classes pulled together, but we're really talking about mutual funds most of the time. Is that right? Yeah. Mutual funds and ETFs. Yep. And, and would they be considered mostly index funds? So are these, are most of the ESGs kind of more broad based or are there sector specific ESGs too?
1: Yeah. So again, this is something that kind of surprised me because there are so many offerings and there's so many different strategies. Um, and, And this is something that I learned just doing my research. I was definitely not an expert on this even two or three weeks ago. But I'm like, there's exclusionary things. So like some funds they won't, so maybe they won't invest in companies that produce guns or they won't uh, invest in companies that are in, in the fossil fuel industry. And then some are like inclusionary where they'll say, Okay, well, this is maybe, and I'm just throwing a company name out there that everybody knows, like ExxonMobil, and I, and maybe they'll compare them to other oil and gas companies, but maybe one company is investing more in alternative fuels and, and more green energy, and so they'll say, well, this company is better than that, and they'll choose them. So there's all kinds of different strategies And it it can be pretty time-consuming if you want to kind of figure out like which strategy do you believe in, which one's aligned with your values, and and if you're actually trying to do better with your money. So yeah, it, it gets pretty complex pretty quickly.
0: Is there a single arbiter of what qualifies as ESG? I mean, as you're saying this, I realize that one person's ESG fund might really not feel like another person's. In other words, depending on your specific set of values- or what industries you're more or less worried about? Like who makes that decision? what qualifies?
1: Yeah. so I think that really depends on the fund company within the company, the fund itself. There's different strategies. Like I know Vanguard has, I think five or six different ESG funds. and then uh, again, all the different companies now to meet consumer demand have their own spin on it. But uh, you can get two ESG funds that are investing quite differently.
0: And in your blog post, you actually took one of Vanguard's broad-based ESG funds and compared it to, I believe it was the total market or total world Vanguard index. Talk to me about how like the ESG fund is to a more broad-based index. I mean, are they really mostly the same companies? So
1: I would say on the good front, I think they are quite different. Like, I think the total market, and again, I'm pulling numbers off the top of my head, but to me, it was somewhere around 3,500 companies. And the ESG index from Vanguard, it was like 1,700. So you're basically eliminating half. So you're cutting quite a few companies out of there. But by the same token, it's still 1,700 companies is pretty diverse if you're going to even hold just one. And that's just a domestic fund. This is the one I looked at. So you're still very diverse. So you're not like putting all your eggs in one basket and choosing one or two companies and, and so you still kind of have the benefits of indexing and you have the benefits of wide diversification without being without being pigeonholed to a couple companies. The downside, as I started to really look at the companies, like on the top 10 companies, um, eight of them were the same, which surprised me. So I think like a lot of the one of the reason I think people are, are flocking to this is because it does give that feeling of doing good, which is good. The downside, I think a lot of people were probably flocking because ESG funds are performing really well right now. But I think a lot of that's because as I looked at them, like the top five companies were identical in both in both the ESG fund and the total market fund. And that's because they're tech companies and tech seems to be on fire right now. So if tech goes out of favor and those companies are now the underperforming companies, are the ESG funds going to follow that? And and then are people going to lose like, like when they chase any sector? A lot of times I think people chase returns. So uh, I'm kind of curious to see how that goes in the future.
0: And of course, when we are looking at investments, often the two biggest things we're looking at are returns and expense ratios. You've mentioned it a little bit already before, but let's talk about expense ratios. There are lower costing funds than they were five years ago. But when it comes to, for instance, a Vanguard total index, they're still a little bit on the expensive side when we're looking at the ESG funds. Is that right?
1: Yeah. I mean, I think, I think when you look at expenses, I think everything's kind of relative, so if you look at a uh, Vanguard uh, total market ETF, I think the expense ratio is like 0.03%, which is really almost negligible. And I think the, the ESG fund was like 0.12%, which is still pretty darn good by historic standards. So it is four times more. But if you really believe in that strategy, I don't think that would stop me from investing uh, in an ESG fund if, if you believed in that. Now, some of the more actively managed funds, so if you want to get into like maybe that ESG fund with Vanguard doesn't match your your values and your goals for investing. So maybe you look at these actively managed funds. I still think the average is somewhere around, I believe it was 0.8. And again, I'm terrible with numbers, so (laughs) I might be off by a, a bit, but it was substantially more. So now you're talking about something that's nearly a whole percentage point versus 0.03. So that's a huge difference. And that can definitely impact your returns over time. And it can impact your own retirement security. So I think you have to kind of look at the big picture and, and say like, how well does this particular fund match? And then what are the expenses of it?
0: And it makes you kind of wonder why the difference in expense ratios, I assume there's a certain amount of research, et cetera, involved in deciding what is an ESG or not. On the other hand, when you look at the major holdings and you see that they're similar, it does beg the question, are these more actively traded funds, which for a lot of reasons for most of us is a negative because we are much more the buy and hold less active fund buyers.
1: Yeah. And, and I would say like, I'm not a purist with almost anything. I really was a fan. I, I, I was always just found investing to be overwhelming. And I was kind of drawn in by JL Collins' simple path. And one of the things that I always look at is expenses. And I also just look at just the simplicity. Am I actually going to do something? And so like when I look at, when I looked at these two funds, because the Vanguard fund is a low cost, it's based on an index that tracks this ESG index. And so it's something that I could potentially see myself doing. And for them, yeah, I mean, I I just, I didn't see it producing a great difference. Would I pursue ever an actively managed fund? Well, that kind of violates all of my other principles of investing of low cost and diversification and, and, you know, not trying to choose a winning strategy and not trying to choose a winning manager. So then it gets a lot more complex. So that's kind of where I, I fell on
0: it. And I don't know if you'll know the answer to the question, but were there tax differences between the ESG and the non-ESG indexes?
1: That's something I don't know. I assume it's with most indexes, it's kind of buy and hold and it's mostly your larger companies is not going to have a lot of turnover. So I would assume not, but that's not even really something I looked at that level.
0: So you mentioned the expense ratios, but the other side of that equation is returns. I was kind of shocked by this idea that the ESG funds were returning better, at least currently. Now, of course, we know that doesn't mean a lot, but did it surprise you too?
1: Yeah. It, well, it did a bit uh, on the surface, but then as I looked at what the funds are holding again, so again, the top five, so that when it, with an index, the biggest companies are going to be the drivers, the primary drivers of the return. So the top five were identical. So both company, both of the funds were doing well, but this year it was like 15% for the total market and 20 for the ESG at the time I compared And if you look at what's not in the ESG, so like you don't have any oil, like basically there's, there's no fossil fuel companies. So if you remember earlier this year, oil actually went negative for a barrel of oil, like you had to actually uh, pay somebody to take possession of it because there was such low demand. So I think some of that is just a reflection on what's in and what's not in the in the funds right now. So it's not being diluted by those things, which are currently out of favor. Is that going to remain the case? I mean, I think for environmental purposes, that would probably be a good thing, but is that going to be the case? I mean, I have no idea. I would kind of doubt that that's going to be the case as as people get back to normal living and normal traveling and whatnot.
0: And yeah, it's notable to say too, that as the market dives, you might find the ESG funds actually swoop lower based on the comparison of holdings. So that long-term the returns probably even out.
1: Yeah, I would think that's going to be the case. When you look at it, it's so tech dominated right now as tech stocks go out of favor, which, you know, everything is cyclical over time. And again, kind of going back to the basic principles of investing that I learned from JL Collins and that simple path, not trying to choose winners and losers. So if you really believe in tech, then you can buy any tech fund and it would tend to be doing well. But I think that's what a lot of these tend to be as tech heavy right now. And so I think that's driving a lot of the returns
0: you mentioned that a lot of these ESG funds included a lot of the big movers from the S&P but there were also some notable exclusions Berkshire Hathaway you couldn't find in almost any ESG fund is that right
1: yeah and and so like again like i kind of had i guess my own impression of ESG going in like i know one thing being from the healthcare industry like i hate like sugary things and fast food and and just that unhealthy thing, and, and like to me, that's something that I don't value. So like I know when I think of Berkshire, one of the things I always picture Warren Buffett with a Coca Cola, and I thought maybe <laughs> that's why he's not in there. Or like I know like they have holdings in Wells Fargo, and like it, it seems like you can't go a couple of months without seeing them doing some un, something unethical. But from my research, and, and this may have played a little bit of factor of why those aren't in ESG. That's really not why they're in there. It's not what he invests in, but. there are certain governance standards and they want to have like an independent board and and different things like that. And Warren Buffett just kind of rejects that. And he's been doing his thing forever. And he says, you know, I'm not going to kowtow to this because it's ESG. So I was actually surprised to learn that Berkshire, who by most accounts is a very reputable company, has a great history. Warren Buffett is a a well-known like massive philanthropist. He's not in because of the governance issues, which kind of surprised me, because that wouldn't really concern me as much as as actually maybe some of the holdings, which I would make more sense of the reason it's not. And so, yeah, this the whole thing it seems kind of complex and and it's hard for me to wrap my head around. I guess
0: it definitely brings up two thoughts in my mind. One is that what qualifies or doesn't qualify something as an ESG may just not have as much importance to you as you thought it would, or at least a piece of that. The other point is that a lot of these big companies that are part of ESG funds, when you really go and look at all their components and parts, probably have some very non-ESG connections too. So it's a very global connected economy. My bet is it's really hard to parse, especially with these big international companies, whether they fit that ESG criteria or not.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think just from the ethical standpoint, like I, I know I cited in my article, but Apple just settled like earlier this year, I think it was a $500 million lawsuit for their whole planned obsolescence. And and just from a business practice, it just strikes me as not being a super ethical way to to build your business. But we know that, that Apple's been doing that forever with releasing these new products with slight updates, and then it makes their old products obsolete. So just from an ethical standpoint, but then from an environmental standpoint, think of how many uh, devices have to be replaced. Think of how many, like when they decide to go to the AirPods, and now you can't plug your all these wires in that have been produced and all that plastic, and basically those are worthless. So now you have to get new headphones, and it's great for their bottom line, but is that really good for the environment? And there's all these complex issues. And I knew we were talking about this, and it was funny. I just kind of as I was logging on this morning, I saw that. Google now is in this big antitrust suit. And I know Google's like number three in both of those indexes. So they're in the ESG. and All these companies have ethical concerns and environmental concerns. And these are massive, massive trillion dollar companies. And so to say that one is good and one's bad, I mean, it's going to be really hard to not find fault with any of them and also not find things that they do that are good.
0: So let's pivot to the point of view of the individual investor. When you decided to write this blog post, looking through the eyes of an investor who really takes this idea of ESG seriously, how much time did it take you to actually go through and learn about these funds and come to terms with whether you thought they were in keeping with your own ethics or not?
1: Um, I mean, I, I really, I only looked at two funds. I looked at a total market fund and this ESG, basically index fund. And just doing that, it took me a probably a good, i probably spent between writing that and researching it, ten or fifteen hours to kind of research that one fund, look what's in it, bring my thoughts together to kind of create a, a coherent article, and kind of determine that I didn't think that one fund measured up and would be something I would want to invest in. And then, if you really wanted to do a deeper dive, I mean, how many funds are there between how many companies and how many different strategies? I mean, you could spend forever and really get stuck in analysis paralysis, and and that was kind of my big downfall in this, and like why I would not personally pursue it is it just, it doesn't seem like for the amount of effort and time and extra money that you're going to definitely put in to have a questionable result, I'd rather apply that time and money and effort in a different area where I know, or I at least feel more confident that I'm going to have the result that I'm looking for when I started.
0: After researching that one fund in particular, did you feel at least pretty strongly that you knew where the fund stood or was it kind of still fuzzy? Is this really what I want it to be or not?
1: Well I mean so it was Vanguard and I think Vanguard is generally pretty transparent so you can go right on their site and it says like these are the stri- these are the criteria for this particular fund so I did feel that I know where they stand I don't feel really that it aligns with what I really believe in or care about I guess
0: So at least you felt confident by the time you got to the end of this it took a lot of time but at least you could say okay this is not actually fulfilling the criteria that I would truly want for an ESG fund if I were to want to invest my money that way. So at least you got to an answer. It took some time, but mm-hmm. you felt like you were on stable footing and knowing how you felt about that fund.
1: Yeah. And and I think my ultimate conclusion was just that there's, again, there's better ways for me to spend my time and money and effort than to sort through all these funds for maybe having a small marginal gain. That being said, I mean, I think if people believe in it, there are there are funds out there now. They are affordable. There is a variety if you're willing to put in the time to find one that matches your personal values. I mean, I can see where it's a, it's an attractive thing and it's not cost prohibitive anymore. And it's not just prohibited by the fact that you can't build a diverse portfolio because there are a lot of options. So, I mean, I would understand why people do it, but it's just not for me.
0: Let me focus on one thing you kind of just said very quickly. You said for a small marginal gain, let's look at this globally. Like, do you think that these ESG funds are having a real social impact? Do you think they are changing the world? Do they have the ability to change the world from what you've seen?
1: Well, not that I've seen. I mean, like, again, like I, I said I could make a positive and a negative for almost any um company. I think maybe Facebook is like that. <laughs> like, that's just one company that to me I just I do not like at all. And seeing them number three, it just kind of rubbed me the wrong way. Like, but yes, they don't really have an environmental impact, but like. When I think of like the things that bother me about the world, like one is just how divisive everything is and like looking at Facebook and looking at like their algorithms and how they do things, it just bothers me at so many levels that that's a a company that's, that's deemed ESG worthy. When again, like a company like Warren Buffett in Berkshire is not like that right there makes me think like this just isn't a strategy that's worth putting a whole lot more thought and effort into because it doesn't align with what I believe and what I, what I want to do with my money and to try to change the world.
0: You know, it's funny, we as a community are really not into stock picking. But if ESG was really important to you, it almost seems like the only way to truly invest in what you would call a quote unquote socially responsible way is to go and pick stocks specifically. Because I think that would be the only way you'd really be able to look at each company and evaluate whether they fit with your ethical requirements or not.
1: Well, you know what, I, I kind of mentioned that I've been seeing this everywhere and it's kind of been floating in my head. Maybe I should look into this more and write an article. But what really kind of got me serious about thinking about it is there's a buddy of mine from the ChooseFI Pittsburgh group when I used to be in there. And he recently wrote an article uh, about it. And, and he looked at it at that individual, like he basically, he just had a daughter and his kind of argument was, you know, like it really made him think about the world differently. And it made him go down this route. And he decided he wasn't going to invest in index funds at all anymore. And he was going to pick individual stocks and I said, you know, I think that's admirable, and uh, we kind of started a conversation. And he mentioned the first company that he threw out there that he s- decided was worthwhile for him was Hershey. Which, if you're from Pennsylvania, as I am, they have a great reputation. They do great things in the community. It's a local, it's locally owned business. It's been there forever. But just looking again, like what is important to me, like they're they're basic. Their business is pumping sugar into the world. <laughs> it's feeding like the diabetes and the and the obesity and the stuff that I saw every day as a medical practitioner. So like. Again, there's just no perfect company. And, and it would just it would just be so mentally draining, I think, to try to invest in that way. I think there's just better ways to impact the world, in my opinion. And again, I respect anybody who disagrees with me. And, and I think it's an admirable goal, but it's just not one that I'm personally going to pursue.
0: As I listen to you, I think about how personal each of these decisions are. And it really almost seems impossible because businesses have a fiduciary responsibility to also succeed. And in today's global environment, part of succeeding is sometimes doing business with other companies or putting out products or even interacting with the environment that isn't always perfect. And so sometimes their fiduciary responsibility to their shareholders, to their employees is contradictory to what we would call ESG investing, which means that any company big enough to be public, publicly traded probably has had to make decisions and compromises. And those compromises aren't gonna rub some people the wrong way. And so I can imagine being a fund manager and trying to put together this ESG fund. And it just sounds like an incredibly hard task.
1: Yeah. And I think that's really, that was kind of the crux of my decision is that, you know, again, like, like I've said several times, like I certainly respect people that would choose to do ESG. I think in theory, it's a great thing. I just, again, I just think like, we have to look at, you know, like things aren't black and white and they're very gray and there's different, different approaches, different people want to take. And for me, I just think that there's better ways. like I, I could see me going down this rabbit hole and spending a lot of time. I definitely would spend more money on the expense ratios, and I just, I'm just not convinced is basically what it comes down to to me. But I can certainly see where people would disagree, and I certainly respect that decision.
0: In the first half of the show, Chris and I talk about the definition of ESG investing. After the break, we discuss whether socially responsible investing is right for you. But first... usa.com that's landroverusa.com wish you were in early on some of the best performing ipos of 2019 and 2020 with our crowd accredited investors have access to invest directly easily and most importantly early our crowd investors have benefited from our crowd companies ipoing like beyond meat or being bought by companies like intel nike microsoft and oracle pretty much the business model is simple Our crowd does all the due diligence. They use their expertise to find the newest startups, the ones that have the most promise, and they not only invest themselves, but offer a space for you to invest along with them. Today, you can join our crowd's investment in Blue Green Water Technologies, a startup that keeps our water safe. Global water supplies are under attack from toxic algae blooms, making water undrinkable. Blue Green's proprietary EPA-approved technology eliminates the toxic algae poisoning the world's water resources. You can get in early on Blue Green and other unique opportunities at ourcrowd.com slash EAI. If you're interested in investing, you need to join RCrowd. Our the ourcrowd account is free. Just go to ourcrowd.com slash EAI. Let's take this out to the thousand foot view. I started with my introduction and I talked about some of the ethical decisions that I was faced in my profession. And even broadened that out to talk about some of the decisions we make when we're going shopping, et cetera. I have to admit this idea of being socially responsible in my investment portfolio never even entered my mind until I started to see people writing about it. So I guess The real big question of the episode is, should social responsibility be something we even take into consideration when we're thinking about our investment portfolio? And I'm wondering how you think about those two issues. Do you see them very interconnected or were you like me in the sense that you really never connected that they had anything to do with each other?
1: Yeah. I mean, I think prior, I hadn't given it much thought and honestly, after after doing this, I don't know. Maybe I'll revisit it in a couple more years and see how things have changed, but I don't know that it's, it's so complex. I don't know that I'll give it much more thought again. Like we talked about just how can you do things in your personal life? Like I know since I left my job, I mean, I used to drive an hour every day to work. Like we're now a one car family and we use basically a tank of gas every month. Like I think that really has impact. And if a lot of people did that, I think that would have a huge impact if we became less reliant on these long commutes and you know we you know got into situations where we could rely on our feet and bicycles and things like that which would really impact the environment so a simple decision like that i think can impact the world I just you know being in a position where i can give of my time That is extremely like when I was working all the time, like I barely had time to talk to my wife 10 minutes a week. And like now I'm getting involved in things where I'm able to give back. I'm confident that that's going to impact the world in positive ways. Again, like it's it's, there's nothing wrong with ESG investing if, if it's something you personally believe in. But just for me, it just seems like a lot of effort and money for for not a lot of bang for your buck.
0: I almost think the shortcut, maybe this is the path I've chosen to take as as opposed to worrying about socially responsible investing. I would take some of the profits that I made from that investing and donate a certain amount. Or you could turn that around and say, because I've done well with investing over the years and I don't have to work anymore, I'm going to now take my free time and use it for social good, which I think is what you were talking about. Or Again, making choices such that they impact the environment less. It almost seems like a workaround, but it seems like a much more plausible workaround than trying to go after the actual investing itself.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think like, To get to the heart of what you're asking is, should we consider like these things to try to make the world better to try to be more ethical people to try to be more environmentally responsible? Yes, I think all of us should and I I hope we all do. Uh, I just don't know that this is the best way to actually have an impact. And I think that's maybe the shorter answer to my long, uh, my long winded answer before.
0: Above and beyond ESG funds, have you found any other ways to align this idea of social responsibility and how we invest our money in general? I, I certainly haven't, but I'm wondering if you found anything in your research uh, besides the ESG funds.
1: No, I mean, I really haven't either. I think maybe if if you wanted to maybe be responsible and provide you know quality housing at a fair price, something like investing in in real estate, you can certainly align a lot easier than choosing publicly traded companies. Or maybe investing in small companies, but that's really you're talking about a completely different investment strategy. Like when you look at these principles that that I believe in that I want to incorporate, like wide diversification and low cost and not spending a ton of time so I can free up my energy for something else. I mean, it's really, it's an entirely different strategy. But I think that if you know, if you want to have ESG impact, something like, you know, real estate or small private companies, something like that is maybe a, a more feasible way to do it. But it's it's quite different.
0: Although it sounds like you and I have both probably decided that ESG investing probably doesn't fulfill our needs. What do you think the future of the ESG market is? Do you think it'll continue to grow the way it has in the last five years?
1: I think it'll be interesting. It's kind of like this old argument about the FIRE community, like when, when the bull market ends, is the FIRE community going to go away? I, I kind of think that like when we had the drawdown this March, it kind of reinforces the principles because I think the principles of FIRE are really strong. I think when we see the bull market in ESG funds or tech, which kind of, again, kind of is driving ESG, in my opinion, I think when we see ESG returns drop below uh, regular returns, I think we'll get a better sense of, you know, is this something that's going to continue to grow because there's a genuine interest for the right reasons? Or is this something that people are like not putting a lot of thought into and jumping on because, oh, yeah, well, I can get these are outperforming things anyway. Why wouldn't I do it and and not putting a lot of thought into it? So I think that'll be a, a teller.
0: Yeah, I was about to say, it's really easy to jump on a bandwagon when the returns are really good. (laughs) Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, but I think that's a big reason why. And and just the fact that the assets are bloating faster, right? I mean, even the things that are already in there are growing faster. So that's going to make the numbers look better. So yeah, it'll be interesting.
0: And I think one of the future issues is really going to be what is truly ESG? Like, what's the seal of approval we use? And is it just a seal that doesn't mean anything? Or is it something that actually will change our behavior i think about the you know the term low fat right when you look at foods now all these foods found kind of generic ways to be classified as low fat but that doesn't necessarily mean that if you eat lots of them you won't gain weight and Mm -hmm. maybe esgs will also face that reckoning in the future that as it becomes more and more of a popular term, there's going to have to be some definition of what really qualifies and what doesn't. Maybe some minimal criteria, at least, so that everyone can't you know, say, I'm an ESG fund. Because at this point, do we even know if there are requirements to qualify yourself as an ESG fund? yeah and
1: that i don't know i do think like like we mentioned before like in that in the just the one fund the one total market and the one esg fund i mentioned it was basically half of the companies were eliminated so if you really wanted to go through I mean, I'm sure there are, there is probably, it's doing some good. Again, it's just like when you're looking at the big companies are driving the return of an index. Do you want to spend all your time digging through seven, like what are the 1800 companies that aren't in and why were they out? And what are the 1700 companies that are in and why are they in? And I mean, that just, again, it just seems mentally exhausting to me. So I didn't go to that level of analysis, but I mean, some people might want to, and it might be that important to them. So more power to you.
0: I imagine that there are many in our community who still would like to look into ESG funds and know more. Were there certain resources you found that were particularly helpful when you were doing your research for this blog post?
1: Also, well, I kind of mentioned like I, I I've, I'm a huge fan of just that the simple path, the mindset. But I think when like I share my portfolio, and I am definitely not somebody that has all of my money in VTSAX and whatever the bond fund is, but I I do believe in international. Funds. I do have some REITs. And I actually recently added a small amount of gold to my to my portfolio, which I know is heresy for simple path <laughs> followers. But like what I look at is like what are the core principles that I got from? So I, I said like when I started investing, it was just a topic that was overwhelming. And what I think JL Collins does an amazing job is he simplifies it and he lays out principles. So the principles that I took from the simple path are, you know, are you diversified? costs matter immensely. And so are you low cost? Is it simple? Is it going to allow you to just take action or are you going to get stuck in this analysis paralysis for, you know, if you think about it for three months, that's probably a good use of your time because you know what you're getting into and you're going to stick with your plan. If you're thinking about it for two years or five years or seven years and you still haven't invested because you're so stuck in paralysis analysis, that's not a good thing. So like those simple principles are what guide me.
0: I like that concept is we have to remember that the fundamentals are still the same. So whether you're looking at an ESG fund or you're looking at an S&P 500 index fund or you're looking at a bond fund, you still have to run them through that shredder of what you need out of an investment, what makes a good investment in general. And if it will serve you long-term, whether it's ESG or not is almost one of those finishing factors. You have to decide whether it's important to you. You mentioned Jail Collins' book, The Simple Path to Wealth. Jail is a friend of the podcast, and it is a wonderful book and very well worth reading for not just the new investor, but also the advanced investor. We've been talking about ESG funds with Chris Mamula. Chris, I wanted to thank you for being on the show. Tell me where can people find you and what is happening in your life?
1: Well, you can find me at the blog, Can I Retire Yet? I've not been quite as frequent uh, as I used to be just because life is crazy during COVID and and with extra responsibilities with my daughter and stuff. But I am still there. I'm still very responsive and and I love to connect with people. So feel free to reach to reach out to me through the blog.
0: And anything new coming up? Any new projects you're looking forward to?
1: I'm looking forward to ski season, to be honest with you. (laughs) We got shut down early last year. And so as we're getting through fall and and I see the weather's getting colder this weekend, hopefully you'll find me on a mountain soon.
0: Yeah, that definitely falls in the work to live category and not live to work. Most definitely. (laughs) All right. Well, this has been the Earn and Invest podcast. On behalf of myself, Doc G, I'd like to thank Chris Mamula. And again, it's always a pleasure to talk to you. That's a wrap. Hey, everybody. I thought it would be fun to do a recap of 2020 for Earn and Invest. This is 2021. We've started a new year, but it's also a good chance to look back. Earn and Invest has seen a lot of changes over the last year. And I thought it'd be fun to talk about just a few of them. First, by the numbers, there were over a 100 new episodes of Earn and Invest this year. We had over 250 guests. We started the year with about 125,000 downloads in total. For the year of 2020, we had 430,270 new downloads, which allowed us to surpass a half a million downloads for the life of the show. So this was a big mile marker for us. It was really exciting. We had over 200 ratings on iTunes, and we were nominated for two Plutus Awards. 2020 was a year of change for the Earn and Invest podcast. First and foremost, I used to have a partner named Paul Thompson, and for the first 100 shows or so, He was my partner in crime. He left the show. We also started a new partnership with Joe Salcihai and the Stacking Benjamins podcast. That was all new this year. And of course, we rebranded and changed the name. We were the What's Up Next podcast, a name that I really loved in the sense because it described exactly what we were doing, which was that next level personal finance Financial independence discussion. But I also found that people didn't know what that meant. So they would see us in the charts and not know what What's Up Next stood for. So we rebranded to Earn and Invest, a name that I think is much more fitting for the podcast. It's clear just based on the name that we're interested in personal finance. And I have to admit, rebranding was a big worry for me, but it went well. I don't think we lost any of our listeners, and generally it became a better way to describe what we do here from day to day on the podcast. We also moved from one show a week to two shows a week. So before this, there was one show a week. It was always a group episode with three or four different participants, This year, we changed things up a little bit. I decided that I love to do the panel episodes, but I also wanted to explore one-on-one episodes. Sometimes there's no substitute for the kind of conversation you can have one-on-one, one one host, one guest. And so we started doing Monday panels and Thursday one-on-one conversations. I've been really happy with these and hope to continue the same format through 2021. Let's talk about some of the highlights of the year. For me, there were two episodes in particular that were really a lot of fun. Part of the reason why is because they were with my friends. The first was JL Collins and I did an episode on COVID. And that was a change. In fact, JL interviewed me on my opinions on COVID. This was back in March or April of 2020, just as the pandemic was started, and we talked about the ideas behind exponential growth and whether COVID was something to worry about or not. Part of the fun of that was it allowed me to use both my knowledge of being a physician as well as my understanding of personal finance. That was a great conversation. Another fun one was with Pete Adeny when we talked about a tweet that had garnered some controversy, and it was a good chance for us to talk about financial independence, personal finance, this idea of privilege. What was really fun about that is we were able to have this conversation just a few days after that tweet, so it was in the here, and now we were discussing something that just happened, and I always really enjoy that chance to react to controversy going on in our community, I think we need to be able to talk about things, and sometimes these conversations are hard, they're difficult, and we worry that we'll be insensitive or say the wrong thing. On the other hand, I think if we don't try to have these conversations, if we don't get them out there... We'll never go deeper, we'll never understand each other more, and we'll never resolve any of these issues. So for that reason, I really enjoyed that conversation, and I hope to have more of those in 2021. Another highlight for me in 2021 is I went to one of my first online meetings. I attended Podcast Movement Virtual this year. It was my first get-together for podcasters, as well as my first virtual event, I was worried that virtually I wouldn't feel as connected, I wouldn't meet as many people, and I wouldn't enjoy the talks as much, and I found exactly the opposite. They did an amazing job of having a platform that was really easy to interact with, and I just felt like it was a great use of both my time and my money, and I definitely will attend another what were some of the low points of 2020 for the Earn and Invest podcast? Well, COVID in general and the social upheaval and the recession, these were all major stress points. And it's hard as a podcaster because you want to balance having a conversation about what's happening in our lives now, but you also don't want to be all gloom and doom and forget to have those baseline personal finance conversations. So, It's a mix of talking about what's happening in the moment as well as getting back to that basic message that we've carried throughout the life of this podcast. I also really missed going to events and gatherings and meetups. This was the first year where I really didn't travel as much as I had before, and I missed meeting people in person. As a content producer, it's one of the best ways we get out there and tell people about what we do is when we do it in person, when we get in front of a group of people and give a talk, or I've gone to a number of Camp Financial Independence, Camp FIs, and we do a live podcast. Nothing is more fun to me than having a live audience. And do what I enjoy doing most, which is getting behind the mic and interviewing someone. So for me, a real low point of this year was not being able to do those things, missing the human interactions. I can't wait till we can get together again. And I'm hoping for 2021 that we have at least some resuming to normal of these type of events. Hopefully, the spread of COVID will go down. Hopefully, the vaccine will do its job, and we'll get to see each other again in person. That is a big hope for me for 2021. A hope for this podcast is that we continue to grow. Right now, we've been growing at a real rapid rate over the last few years, but as we broaden the conversation... I hope to create relevant and salient conversations that go way far and beyond just financial independence and personal finance, but really go out into the world that get an audience above and beyond people who just like to talk about money. I'm also hoping to continue to build strategic relationships, whether that is in the building of this podcast, like I did with Joe Salcihai, or the funding of this podcast, like I've done with a number of our advertisers. And last but not least, I hope to continue to surprise and delight you guys to have conversations you didn't expect to have guests maybe you've never heard of to delight you with the things we talk about and to create a podcast in which you feel like every time you tune in and download an episode, you hear something different. And I guess that's the big point of what I hope to do is to keep creating unique and relevant conversations for us all to have together. So how can you help the earn and invest podcast in 2021? Well, first and foremost, tell someone about the podcast. If you enjoy listening to our conversations, let someone else know, send them a link, post it in social media. That is how... Earn and invest will grow. It's word of mouth. If you enjoy it, hopefully some of your friends and family members will too. Another thing you can do is leave a review at the place you listen to this podcast. A popular way to do that is on Apple Podcasts. Go ahead and leave us a five-star rating, or if not a five-star rating, tell us why. Give us feedback so we can continue to make earn and invest better and better. We also have a thriving Facebook group at facebook.com slash group slash earn and invest. Go ahead and join up. Become part of the conversation. We talk about similar topics that you hear on the podcast, but we do it every day. It's a place for community to come together and have great conversations. And last but not least, check out the website, earnandinvest.com. You can find videos there, blog posts, as well as links to all our episodes. By doing any of these things, going to the episode page to earninvest.com or by going to our Facebook group, you are becoming part of our community. You are becoming one of us, a place where we have these deep, great conversations. I can't wait to interact with you in 2021. Thank you for being part of this community. And happy new year. May 2021 be better than 2020. And hopefully this will be the best year yet to come. I decided to cut this one a little short because it was just so good. And I didn't feel like I needed to like keep on hitting it over the head. I hope you're okay with that, because I just I felt like we could manage and cover it all, and I didn't want to overdo it. Yeah, uh, no, that's fine. I, but I, I actually like kind of that, lose track
1: of time. That was good.
0: In that 35, 40 minutes, we really, I think, hit the topic good. Um, I'm glad you did this. Uh, I'm glad you wrote the blog post, because I think it is a big issue, and I could see people either blindly going into an ESG because it says ESG and paying a little bit of that extra money for nothing or the exact opposite, which is going down the rabbit hole and spending months and months and months trying to figure out what to do and not getting anywhere. Mm -hmm. So I think your article really, to me put some clarity on the issue. I didn't read, I know you said Mr. Money mustache did an article recently and i had heard that. Did, did he come to similar?
1: I was actually surprised. So he said he's, uh, he actually shifted or he's, I don't exactly remember his conclusion. I kind of skimmed it. Like I didn't want to, um, <laughs> I, I try not to read too much stuff that kind of like, I don't want to sound similar, but I think his, uh, his approach was actually to um, start putting some of his money into it. I believe is what he decided. I honestly don't remember. I kind of skimmed it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Now, so, so at this point, again, I've been very aware, but I have not changed anything around, but I don't know if I feel compelled yet. I feel compelled by the idea. And it's one of those things where the idea sounds better than reality. Like the idea of socially responsible investing is wonderful. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think very few people would disagree with that. It's just, unfortunately, the nuts and bolts don't seem to match yet what we're trying to accomplish with it.
1: Yeah. And I think like, just looking at like our whole country, like people are so divided on even what's good and what's bad. And like, Mm -hmm. so like, yeah, to try to come to a consensus of a fund with companies that are complex and huge and, have 50 different sub businesses under them, like yeah, you're gonna find problem with everything.
0: Like I'm just trying to like educate my kid, (laughs) not go broke, maybe keep a job. And now you want me to look at these ESG funds on top of that. I had a hard enough time trying to figure out how to invest, period. But Mm -hmm. oh well, cool. All right. I think this will turn out really well.